They're caught up in the rights The Constitution, what's it worth? You know they're gonna grind us down Until it really hurts Is this a sovereign nation? Or just a police state? You better look out, people Episode number 61 of Stand and Deliver. Welcome. Thanks so much for being with us for Citizens for Free Speech, our official podcast. I am the National Communications Director of CFFS, Bob France, and I'm with... Patrick Wood, founder and director of Citizens for Free Speech. Welcome to, yeah, episode 61. I can't believe it. They just keep clicking by. It's like we measure each week by this podcast. It seems like just yesterday we did one. But they're always good, and we always have so much information that is just spot on for the attack on free speech these days. Well, you know, Patrick, the um, the story we're going to start with today is uh, is a I don't want to call it unusual, but it's difficult because oftentimes on this show over the last sixty episodes, we kind of get a feel for. Uh, individuals in power, elected officials, politicians, and so forth, those who are standing with us and protecting our First Amendment rights, protecting against censorship online and elsewhere, um, and those who are opponents. We generally have a pretty good idea of who we can you know, put on either side of that fence. But today, with our lead story about the, uh, uh, the bill, a bipartisan bill on the need by many to ban TikTok from American phones and devices because of Chinese spying. Of course, TikTok is Chinese owned. Patrick, with this story, it calls into question who we can trust, who's really a First Amendment defender, a free speech defender, which we are, um, and who isn't. I think, I, think, I think the line has been blurred a little bit by this bill. Why don't you tell us all about it? You know, it's interesting. In the book 1984, I don't know if anybody ever watched the movie. It's still on, I, I did. think it's still up on YouTube. You can yeah, watch you can watch it in a number of streaming. Yeah, there's a number of streaming services where you can still pull it up. Yes, and uh, in, the, in the movie, they have this, uh, this, this ritual they do every day called the two minutes of hate. And they, the people get an auditorium and they scream at images on the screen. Um, and they scream, I hate you, I hate you, you're a monster, oh, that, that sort of stuff. Just rage, raging at the screen. This is the picture that comes up in my mind about the, uh, the attack on TikTok, which has big problems, by the way. I'm not saying it doesn't, but I'm just saying people are so f inflamed against TikTok right now mm -hmm. that they're crying out, ban it, ban it, ban it, you know, get rid of it, kill it. That sort of thing. It just is kind of like that two minutes of hate in the movie 1984. Well, here's the answer that is being put forth by our legislature right now, by, by the House initially. Um, to the, the bill that's been offered is called the Restrict Act. And it's specifically to go after TikTok, to knock them out of the park. Problem is, guess what? It's not just limited to TikTok. It's a, it's a broad brush approach. Of course, it hasn't passed yet, but it's on a track right now because it is sponsored by both Republicans and Democrats. It's a broad brush bill that would give the administration authority to ban or take out of existence 
anything that can be framed as a national security threat. Hmm. Now, we've discussed that before. Even <laughs> the Homeland Security even declared some parents who were protesting against their school boards as being a national security threat. You could say that about a lot of things. You can, and they have said that about a lot of things. This is over the top. If this actually does come through, and we need to resist this with whatever we can, if this does go through, the administration is going to have a, a absolute lock on censorship, not just censorship, but actual destruction of the organization. We can't let it really, we just, we, I say we can't let this happen. Well, you know, is it in our control anyway? I don't know, but we should be mouthing off about this like crazy. This is absolutely dangerous to free speech in our country. Well, we're going to have to talk about some of the aspects that would be declared as a threat to our country and thus banned by this bill um, other than TikTok, because the reality of TikTok, it is a threat. It is a huge threat. Yes. It is run and owned and operated by the Chinese Communist Party, not just some innocent, you know, small company in China that put this app out there that went viral worldwide. It's owned by the Chinese Communist Party, and it has been proven. There is plenty of evidence, which was given in the testimony, that they can collect metadata and even more mm -hmm. on uh, virtually anything. They can, They admitted in one of the... Uh, 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 one of the director's uh, statements in his testimony before Congress uh, to being able to monitor every keystroke anybody who has TikTok on one of their devices makes. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, means they can gather information about your banking. They can gather information about, I mean, literally every aspect of your life. And thus, if they can connect that to, you know, your keystrokes to mm -hmm. others, they can see what you sent to other people. Yes. Now they get into there. So the privacy aspect of this, particularly not just our government watching mm -hmm. what we do, but a foreign hostile government watching, watching what we do by way of addicting particularly young people to this, look at these crazy videos, you know, and all of the the things that come with TikTok, I I can understand the call for a ban on TikTok, on government yes. devices, which many states have already done. Uh, I would and love there's to be a move able to, to write the legislation. <clears throat> I would write a two-word bill: ban TikTok. That would be singular, yep. right there. A singular, no. right? But of course not. <laughs> Well, it's like any spending bill. It's like any spending bill. You know, they'll yeah. put a spending bill for, you know, military, which is, of course, extraordinarily important, national defense. Yeah. And then they'll throw in, by the way, $2 billion for somebody's pet project. And then, if you, and, and, then, and then they'll throw another smaller bone out there for something like insulin to, to yeah. lower the price of insulin. And then when you vote against it because of the pet project, suddenly you're branded as voting against the military and lower insulin prices for diabetics. Yeah. You know, they, they, they meld all of these different bills that have nothing to do with one another together and that make them completely impossible. So you're right. If we can't have this be a standalone singular bill, ban TikTok because of all of the reasons I just said, if they're going to yes. lump a bunch of other things into it, again, yes. the line is blurred about who's on our side and who isn't because this is a bipartisan bill, Pat. Exactly. And and I, I fully agree, by the way, TikTok is absolutely dangerous. It should have no part in right now in our country. It's really as bad as as, as flying uh, surveillance balloons over the state of Montana, which yeah. we had a few, you know, it's the same thing. But now the answer, how Congress has responded to this, now we have a 55-page bill on the table, 55 pages to get rid of TikTok. But in the process of doing that, there's no safeguards built in for the administration abusing 
this. In fact, it almost encourages the administration to go after anything that's viewed as a national threat. And that's virtually anything these days, it appears. If, if they don't like something, it's a national threat. It's a national security threat. Right. And you, you, can't def, you really can't define this enough to say, well, what is national security threat? What isn't a national security threat? Uh, so somebody within our country, though, as the point is, it's not just China, somebody within our country can be defined as a, a threat to national security and hammered under this bill. This yeah, is flat and, out wrong. And we, we need to see what some of the things are that they're including in this, in these 55 pages. I don't have them in front of me now, but I do know that, like I said, that the bipartisan nature of this, it's being co-sponsored by John Thune, the Republican from, from North Dakota, and Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia. It's got 10 co-sponsors, five from each party. So there is unity for the first time in you know eons. Uh, in our Congress and in our government about this, but as you say, restricting the emergency of security threats that Risk Information and Communications Technology Act or Restrict Act would give the Secretary of Commerce these broad powers to regulate tech uh, by six countries that have adversarial relationships with the U.S., mm -hmm. China, Cuba, Iran, yes. North Korea, uh, Russia, and Venezuela. And, uh, you know, Patrick, it's... Uh, yes. Again, if they're not going to be very specific about what this would restrict, then then you know some some more hearings need to be held so that people know. Yes, we will follow this one. I we're just kind of scratching the surface on this. I realize in this episode, but we we're going to follow this because this is really a huge deal, and we will investigate it and sift it out and you know read on both sides of the aisle what people are saying about it. I already see a lot of criticism coming from. Uh, from other, you know, uh, civil uh, liberties organizations, that this is big danger here. Uh, so we'll we'll sift it out and we'll bring it bring it back to our listeners over the next, you know, whatever few weeks or months. Yeah, and and just to give the actual language, you know, I have the bill in front of me. I've been just kind of scanning uh, of the coverage of it as well. But to read the official language, classified national security information. The term classified national security information means information that has been determined pursuant to Executive Order 13526 relating to classified national security information or any predecessor or successor order to require protection against unauthorized disclosure and is marked to indicate such classified status, status if in documentary form. All of that is a fancy way of saying that um, uh, the information as determined by the executive order, determined by the executive branch, it, it's not something that can be determined by legislators, mm -hmm. it, that is national security, a national security threat, or even national security uh, informative, they can shut down. Mm -hmm. They can shut down and restrict that from anybody and, and speaking or expressing or writing or sharing or whatever in any form. That's what makes this so dangerous. Um, yes. is the actual language. So we're going to have to see exactly what kinds of things would be covered under, quote, um, uh, you know, security threats, classified national security information. Uh, we're going to have to find out what that actually means and what kind of language and what kind of forms of language that they're looking to shut down, which, again, it hasn't been made public yet, but the language that they have made public, some of which I just shared, lets you know that it is very broad in scope and thus potentially dangerous for everybody's speech. <clears throat> yes, indeed. Well, enough of that. It's uh, disturbing for sure, but we'll uh, we'll keep tracking on it and, and let uh, let our listeners know. Absolutely. 
Okay, story number two. Um, this is interesting. Most people know the name Matt uh, Taibbi by now because he is one of the reporters that Elon Musk tasked once he bought uh, um, Twitter. He uh, wanted to open the books. He wanted full transparency, and he wanted the world to see exactly why he bought Twitter, the things that Twitter was doing to censor and silence and suppress the voices of so many who were politically you know, uh, opposite, if you will, of the leadership of Twitter at the time, uh, what they were doing. So he called them the Twitter files. He went in and looked at everything that he had just bought, including the records of how they ran the company before he bought it. He tasked a select few reporters with taking the information and reporting it to the public. Matt Taibbi was one of them. He's an independent journalist. And Matt Taibbi says Democrats flat out ditched free speech. Uh, that Twitter worked in unison with some Democrats in the government, particularly in the Congress, to limit the speech of their political opponents, if not outright banned it altogether. And now, Patrick, in addition to that story, we have the fact that suddenly Matt Taibbi is in the crosshairs of the federal government by way of, in this case, not of the FBI, but of the IRS, which is exactly mm-hmm. what so many of us have been worried about. Yes. The weaponization of government is actually being investigated right now um, by Congress. By um, I forget exactly who's in charge of it. I think maybe is it is it uh, is it Jordan or is it um, Jordan is in charge of the of the weaponization subcommittee yes, of the yes. Department of the uh, Committee on Judiciary. Yes, and they are digging. I know they're digging hard on this, and they they've already requested that the IRS produce documents immediately on why they went to call on Taibbi's house. Actually, knocked on the door, and. Uh, this is uh, this seems to be clearly intimidation by the administration to go after him to keep him sh- to, to shut him up. And what's really interesting here, I've said this for years. You've heard me say it many times. The censorship that's happening does not depend on whether or not you are left or right. And sometimes, most of the time, I will say, the s- stuff has been said on on the right side of the political aisle that has been censored. So a lot of people have concluded, well, it's only it's only conservatives that are censored, but that's not the case. The censorship has to do with issues. It has to do with how you are bucking the narrative, whatever the government, uh, the globalist narrative is, those people are getting censored. We saw this with Naomi Wolf, for instance, who was certainly, historically, certainly on the liberal side of, of the political aisle. Yet she was totally canceled over a number of issues and very disappointed that her own people took her to task. It's almost like the Salem witch trial. And now it's happened with Taibbi also because he has been, as he says himself, he was raised in an ACLU Democrat type home, very liberal. And he's not probably that liberal today, but, you know, he's certainly not a on the, on the, fully on the conservative aisle. Um, Anybody that bucks the narrative is going to get hammered. This tells me that this is a um, this is not a par- purely a partisan issue, and this means that we're spot on talking about the First Amendment here and free speech, because the people doing the attacking don't care what side of the aisle you are on; they'll go after you if you buck the narrative, and that's why they're going after Taibbi. He he, they just at this point. They absolutely detest what he has done to them.
Well, two things in response to that. One, as far as Taibbi, um, as he says, and there's an article in which he, or actually an interview he did on Fox News, in which he said, I was raised a traditional ACLU liberal. I believed in free speech my entire life. That was one of the things that attracted me to the Democratic Party when I was a kid. The idea that we were the party that believed in letting everybody have a say, and we'll just make a better argument. And that's how the system works. He then said, apparently something very dramatic has changed in politics in America, and there's been a shift. There's no question about it anymore that now the parties have had a complete reversal on how they read these issues mm. he's right about that so my response yes. to you about you know Amy wolf for example is it's true that it's about the narrative those who buck the narrative get canceled and censored and so forth and it's not based on a partisanship level but it is on an ideological level and the narrative as you call it i think you even use the word globalist mm. the globalist narrative that we are all very well aware of is leftist it is marxist it is in theory the exact opposite of what the modern day republican party as taibbi just said represents which is that free speech that he says the yeah. democrat party used to so while it's not partisan as you would pointed out in a matter of it's only republicans who get attacked because look at naomi wolf it is about the narrative but it is about leftist ideology if you if you buck leftist ideology, which is, as you say, the globalist narrative, it doesn't matter whether you call yourself a liberal or you call yourself a conservative conservative, you're going to be censored. You're going to be silenced. You're going to be suppressed, as Naomi, Naomi Wolf pointed out. But the reality is what she is in that instance, what Matt Taibbi, if he's still a Democrat or a, or a liberal, I don't know. He kind of mm -hmm. seems to talk about that in the past tense for him. But if you take a conservative position, even if you're not a conservative or a Republican, if you take a conservative position, they're coming for you because that is what bucks the globalist narrative you're talking about because it is very decidedly and definitively and overwhelmingly leftist. There's nothing about the globalist agenda that is considered conservative in any political by any political description. That's right. Exactly right. Well, this is another story that I'm sure has got more to unfold. <laughs> We're not done with it. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Taibbi was was the guy that Elon Musk chose to uh, handle the Twitter files that he released um, to expose what's been going on, especially with between the government and uh, Twitter. And perhaps uh, I think other things have been uh, pulled into that dragnet as well. Mm -hmm. And he's simply just reporting <clears throat> on it. He's an investigative reporter. And he took the files and you know he started writing stories on it. My, I, I would expect maybe his uh, that he was very surprised on what he found when he started to go. Well, through. And, and not just that, he was surprised when he found out that the IRS came to his door with an well, unannounced. And, and let me read yes. this from the Wall Street Journal: Mr. Taibbi has provoked the ire of Democrats and other journalists for his role in researching Twitter records and then releasing internal communications from the social media giant that expose its censorship and its contacts with government officials. Again, almost yes. exclusively Democrats. Yes. This effort has already inspired government bullying with Chair Lena Khan's Federal Trade Commission targeting new Twitter owner Elon Musk, demanding that the company identify all journalists granted access to the Twitter files. Now, Mr. Taibbi has told Mr. Jordan's committee 
that the IRA, like we mentioned, that an IRS agent showed up at his personal residence in New Jersey on March 9th. That just happens to be the day Mr. Taibbi testified before the select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government about what he learned about Twitter. The tax man left a note instructing him to call the IRS four days later. He was told in a call with the agent that both his 2018 and 2021 tax returns were being rejected. Um, So, Patrick, I mean, I don't know what more you need to see. This is literally why the weaponization subcommittee was created because the government in this case it's through the irs oftentimes it's through the fbi the doj larger but this is exactly what is being done here the government is being weaponized against somebody that has been perceived to be an enemy of the government and an enemy of that ideology or as you called it that global narrative matt taibbi is exposing things therefore the government is coming for him yes I, uh, my, my, my view of Taibbi at this point, having read a little bit about him over the last couple of years now, is that he's not easily intimidated. No, I don't think he's easily intimidated. And I don't think he's going to just roll over and say, Oh, I'm scared. I'm not going to, I'm going to not write this stuff anymore. I think if anything, it'll spur him on to dig even deeper and to write even more and expose even more of what's going on. And I think he's on that. It's kind of on a one-way trip for him right now. And I, I've, I've often felt the same way myself. But he's on a one-way trip to get to the bottom of this. And um, we can hope that he does. I think there's a lot more to be said. I think so, too. And you're right. He's a courageous guy. You know, you don't take that on. You don't even accept those Twitter files from Elon Musk unless you are ready to deal with the ramifications of reporting on them because you know it's going to be coming. So I I give him and everybody else that's uh, been handed some of that responsibility a lot of credit. Patrick, let's talk about this article now about the political economy of free speech uh, by Thomas DiLorenzo. You highlighted this one and shared it. I'd like you to tell everybody what's happening. Well, um, uh, I'm sorry. Give me the story again. I don't know. Oh, it's, it's it the uh, I'm sorry, it's the Lou Rockwell uh, oh, yeah, com story it, on the political okay. economy of free so, speech. Of course, I have it here. <clears throat> well, this is a really interesting uh, an interesting story. Uh, Lou Rockwell is, uh, of course, um, uh, you know, a, a libertarian site, uh, free market economics, Austrian school, etc. And um, this article was posted there that uh, starts out uh, to most people the issue of freedom of speech is a constitutional issue and a civil liberties matter, but a number of free market economists have written about it uh, while insisting that one cannot separate political and economic freedom when it comes to freedom of speech. Among those are F.A. Hayek, Milton Friedem, Ludwig von Mises, and Murray Rothbard. And I think this is absolutely true. It's a really good point. Um, This uh, Milton Friedman, for instance, wrote way back in 1979 an article that was entitled The Economics of Free Speech. And uh, as, as it turns out, free speech has been one of the main uh, undergirdings of economic development in America. That is the free exchange of ideas. And they've actually been able to quantify this in, in economic terms that without free speech, you, you really are not going to have the kind of economic development that you want. The, whether it be uh, you know, freedom to invent, freedom to discuss, freedom to argue you know, over patents or whatever it might be, when free speech is suppressed, economic activity is also suppressed. And I think we're seeing the effect of this. I think they're, they're, I think they're spot on. 
well, actually, you know, who am I to, qual <laughs> to you know, to, to criticize or, or say something positive about F.A. Hayek, et cetera? Yes, I think they're right on, but not because I'm such an expert on it. I just read their stuff and I think this makes a lot of sense. Free speech has been one of the principal undergirdings of the economic development of America from day one. And it still is today. And now that it's under attack, you look at what's happened to the economy, the economic system. It's just, it's been shattered. You look at what happened during COVID when all of those crazy policies were put on and free speech was shut down. What happened? The economy got trashed. The supply chain almost broke to pieces. The financial system went nuts. And it's still that way. We're still having the same problems today. When people can't discuss, they fight. That's bottom line. When people can't discuss things, they end up fighting with each other. And we have a lot of fighting going on right now. Not yeah. <clears throat> you know, this, all that um, energy should be applied towards positive things, constructive things, making things, doing things. Fighting is destructive altogether. For those who, uh, who, who haven't seen this, uh, you can find it at lewrockwell.com, Lou, L-E-W, rockwell.com. Um, it, this article is by Thomas DiLorenzo, but it's a, a collection of kind of the essay writing of each of these uh, individuals you're speaking of. And uh, as you get to the end of it, there's conclusions. And I want to read a part, portion of the conclusions. Because it's right about what you just talked about with the fighting. Yes. For about the past half century now, American youth and youth of other countries as well have been indoctrinated in the idea that they are taking the moral high road by participating in campus riots, shouting and screaming demonstrations, and other efforts aimed at censoring any and all libertarian or conservative speech. They are the intellectual sons and daughters of the old communist theorist Herbert Marcuse and his doctrine of oppressive tolerance. This has occurred because there is very little intellectual pushback in terms of education about the virtues of freedom of speech, even the ACLU long ago abandoned its defense of civil liberties in favor of promoting progressive politics. So the progressive politics referenced there in the conclusion literally has invaded not just the political realm, the ideological realm, but as you point out, the economic realm and the yeah. economics of the attack and the censorship of our, our, of our free speech yeah. I, I, could not be more apparent. We're suffering economically in large part because we quash uh, the freedom of individuals and of companies and of yeah. corporations from running their businesses yeah. how they wish, making sure that they comport with, you know, DIE, you know, new DIE laws, diversion, uh, or diversity, uh, inclusion, and equity, mm -hmm. you know, and that if they don't participate in these things, you know, in the woke way, these businesses are being destroyed. So there is a true economic uh, decline that is being felt because mm -hmm. of the crushing and the censoring of free speech. Yes, exactly. You know, Adam Smith talked about the invisible hand in the, in the economic system, that because of supply and demand and free market economics, which means let the market regulate itself, you know, things come up, things go down, people start businesses, some fail, some succeed. But the invisible hand of the economic system in America has been evident ever since our, our, our founding. And in the same way, free speech um, is, is in that same, uh, that same uh, thought that the invisible hand of discourse, if you will, where people have the freedom to exchange ideas. Some ideas are stupid, some ideas are good. Nobody may agree with anything, some may agree with everything, but the idea of being able to duke it out in the, in the arena of free speech, if you will, the correct speech will eventually, that is the truth, will eventually win out in those, in those discussions and stuff. And this is the essence of 
what free speech was supposed to be to the founders of our nation. It was just, in other words, just leave it alone, let it operate, and it will it'll work itself out uh, in the same way that the economic system will work itself out if you just leave it alone. But when you start to manipulate it, when you start to say, the government starts to say or anybody, well, there's a better way to do it. Well, we should, we should regulate this. Well, we should uh, you know, take a hold of this. All of a sudden, things start going haywire. And we've seen this forever with our economic system, with our monetary system. Every time somebody else tries to manipulate it, bad stuff happens. Free speech is part of that whole clutch, if you will, especially the economic system, free market economics. Free market free speech is what we should probably call it. Leave it alone. Let it work. If people say dumb things that you don't like, then stand up and debate them and, you know, give your reasons on why you think they're wrong and let the audience decide what they want to hear, what they believe, what they don't believe. They don't have to believe something just because somebody says it. Turn the channel off. Exactly right. You couldn't say it much better than that. If you're so confident that your point of view is the right point of view, then hear the other one and then disprove their theory. Make your argument, make it stand up. It's pretty easy to have your point of view be the right one when the other point of view is crickets because you have suppressed and silenced yes. them. It's exactly right. Exactly so. Patrick, we only have a couple of minutes left, but I want to try to squeeze in our last story here because sometimes people will ask me on the radio and, and they probably ask you too in all the speeches you give and the presentations you give, where's the line drawn? What, what, what does free speech not protect? Let's talk about that. Hmm. Wayne State University is a small uh, liberal arts college in uh, Michigan, up uh, around Detroit. A professor there named Stephen Shaviro has been suspended. Why? Because of, well, speech. Well, wait a minute. Don't we defend free speech? Not this kind of free speech. Shaviro wrote in a Facebook post on Sunday that while he does not, quote, advocate violating federal and state criminal codes, end quote, it is, quote, far more admirable to kill a racist, homophobic, or transphobic speaker than it is to shout them down, end quote. This professor was put on leave, after, uh, and the incident was reported to law enforcement agencies for review. He went on to say, quote, when right-wing groups invite such speakers to campus, it is precisely because they want to provoke an incident that discredits the left and gives more publicity and validation to these reprehensible views than they could otherwise attain, end quote. So the president of the university, Wayne State University President Roy Wilson, responded to the post in a Monday email to the campus community that announced his suspension, saying, quote, the post stated that rather than shouting down those with whom we disagree, one would be justified to commit murder to silence them. We have on many occasions defended the right of free speech guaranteed by the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, but we feel this post far exceeds the bounds of reasonable or protected speech. It is, at best, morally reprehensible and, at worst, criminal. End quote. So, Patrick... My response to this, that is, I'm glad to hear the professor or the uh, president take such a strong stand, but why only suspended and not terminated? Why not only suspended or terminated and not arrested? Because this yes. is a legitimate threat to yes. kill speakers with whom uh, students may disagree. It indicates that there, there may have been uh, some real serious pushback uh, to the whole university. And, uh, you know, they said, well, we better do a pause here and at least uh, suspend him. That means he could come back. They could bring him back at some point uh, unless they totally terminate him. 
I don't think he'd have a leg to stand on if he sued for wrongful termination either. No. This this is important, but we see this in other places too right now. We, we won't have time to get into it, maybe next episode, but uh, we're, we're talking about the, uh, you know, the, the, the death penalty, if you will, being levied against people that you don't agree with. This has been the historical context of the genocides that have happened in the last century whether it be in the Bolshevik Revolution or the German Revolution, if you will, or in Cambodia or in many countries, China, when, when free speech is uh, crushed, that is where the newspapers are taken over, or the radio stations are taken over, that sort of thing, death follows. Death follows. This is, this is a, a thing, you can look back in history and see this every time. The attacks on free speech eventually end up with people getting killed. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen here as a trend across America, but when I see something like this, I see a little spark of what I saw in the last century when I studied it. I wasn't there. I was there for part of it. Okay, so don't get me wrong. I'm not that <laughs> old. But when I studied what happened in historically with, with the various revolutions, Free speech eventually tipped over until people were murdered for their speech. This professor, Loose Cannon, I see a little spark of that. You can see this philosophy is still alive and well. This is the extrapolated end, I think, to attacks on free speech. This is where it ends up. And boy, do we need to put a lid on this, Bob. Well, if we had another 10 or 15 minutes in this episode, I would respond to that the way I want to because we are literally seeing murders happen because of proposed or suggested speech or views that might make one feel less than accepted. We literally saw a murder, a school shooting in that realm earlier this week. Yes. Um, I don't have enough time to hit it now or we don't, but maybe we'll talk about that next week. But there is an element to that, Patrick, that I think you're yes. a thousand percent right is happening. Yeah right now it is yes, the necessary we will cover this next week yeah, by the way it is, i promise it is the you necessary that we just kind of gave you a teaser yeah. there's a lot to be said about the shooting and uh certainly we you know we pray for all the parents and uh you know we're so concerned about the the fallout from this just in the community and stuff is horrible but there is a larger story that's going to unfold on this and we're going to be covering it because it's directly related to free speech Yep, you could not be more right. Yeah. So uh, we'll save that one for our next episode, but that is going to do it for this episode. Let's close by reminding you how you can be a supporter and a defender of the First Amendment, which is what we are. Go to citizensforfreespeech.org, citizensforfreespeech.org. Become a member. It is completely free. Join us. Increase our numbers. Do whatever you can to be active. Do whatever you can to support this organization, because literally our country depends on our First Amendment. Depends rather on our First Amendment. So. We we need you to defend it with us. Thanks, everybody, for being a part of our uh, of our our podcast. We'll see you next time right here on Stand and Deliver. <laughs>